When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. 20,000. Agricultural revolution. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene. I'm Mike Osborne. Today on the show, we're doing something a little bit different. We recently heard about an awesome environmental podcast out of Pittsburgh called Trump on Earth. In a nutshell, the show is tracking environmental policy under the Trump administration, from what's happening at the EPA to how our public lands will fare. We're big fans of what they're doing, and we wanted to help spread the word. So today on Generation Anthropocene, we're going to air a recent segment from Trump on Earth. In this piece, Trump on Earth's host, Reed Frazier, talks with renowned climatologist Michael Mann of Penn State University. Back in March, Michael Mann testified before the House Science Committee. In this interview, he talks about what it was like to participate on this panel as the lone representative of the scientific consensus on global warming. The other three panelists deny or cast doubt on the fact that humans are the primary drivers of climate change. One final note, this episode of Trump on Earth was released before this year's March on Science, which is referenced in the conversation. Here's Reed Frazier talking with Michael Mann. We hit another milestone this week. The Earth's atmosphere hit 410 parts per million of carbon dioxide. To put this in perspective, in 1950, when we began recording CO2 in the atmosphere, the count was a mere 280 parts per million. Ah, the 50s. Simpler times, weren't they? This is Trump on Earth, a podcast about the environment in the age of the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. I'm Reid Frazier. I bring up the parts per million count because it's easy to forget that as the nation's attention shifts from North Korea to Canadian timber to, I don't know, what kind of coffee Kevin Durant is drinking at the moment. Actually, he's drinking hazelnut, by the way, which I know, I know, crazy, right? The earth just keeps getting hotter and hotter as climate warming gases accumulate. Well, today we're going to be talking to someone who's very well versed on climate change and the, quote, discussion about its causes. Thousands of scientists have been studying these things for decades. We understand the science of climate as well as the science of just about any other thing. I don't want to filibuster. I'm running out of time here. So, Michael Mann will join us to talk about his appearance before the House Science Committee and what it's like to be the lone voice of mainstream science at a panel full of people who deny the broadly accepted idea that we are changing the climate. I, I want accept you to parrot what IPCC I says. I accept the world scientists' uh, opinion. So, I accept in the your opinion, there could not be no chance that 
human activity is not the major contributor. There is a possibility we'll wake up tomorrow and gravity no longer exists. Okay, so those are possible. Okay, so but they're extremely. It doesn't sound unlikely. like anybody or any amount of data could convince you otherwise. I go with the physics. Okay, you, so you can go with opinions if you we want. Can say I go with you're physics. You're a denier of natural change. That's coming up. Trump on Earth is produced by the Allegheny Front, a public media outlet in Pennsylvania that covers the environment. For more environmental news, go to alleghenyfront.org. And Point Park University's environmental journalism program. More at pointpark.edu. You can find all of our episodes on our website, trumponearth.org. Have a question? Email us at trumponearth at gmail.com. Michael Mann is a distinguished professor of atmospheric science at Penn State University. He's a co-author of the recent book, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy. He recently testified before the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology about climate change. And Michael Mann joins me now. Welcome. Uh, Thanks. It's great to be with you. Okay, so you testified before the House Committee on Science. Why did you want to testify before this committee? Well, I I was asked uh, actually by the Democrats to to testify. There were three other witnesses all invited by um, the Republicans. And uh, the witnesses I would uh, characterize as being individuals who are in the fairly small fringe of the scientific community who deny or downplay Uh, the reality and and impacts of climate change. So I was sort of the sole voice of the scientific consensus. Um, That that means one out of the four witnesses who testified was really part of the the scientific consensus, which is ironic given that most uh, studies that have looked at the scientific literature have concluded that somewhere between 97 and 99 percent of actual scientists publishing in the scientific literature are convinced by the evidence that climate change is real, uh, human-caused, and a problem. And here, uh, in this hearing, only 25% of the witnesses uh, reflected that position. Me. Anybody else want to add any comments? Uh, Dr. Mann? Yeah, so we have uh, widespread measurements uh, now from satellites, direct measurements of the total ice mass contained in the ice sheets. And there is no question that... The two main potential contributors to global sea level rise, the Greenland ice sheet and the West Antarctic ice sheet, are losing ice. And we know that that loss of ice means that the ice sheets are contributing to sea level rise already. Now, we hear so much about uncertainty, as if uncertainty um, is a reason for inaction. But in this case, the uncertainties are breaking against us because we are actually seeing more rapid loss of ice from those ice sheets than the climate models that many here criticize had predicted in the past. Dr. Mann, Dr. Curry, thank you. Dr. Christie, next time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Brooks. Uh, Gentlewoman from Oregon, Ms. Bonamici is recognized. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. You know, there have been many studies that have confirmed that of the thousands of peer-reviewed papers that have taken a position on the cause of global warming, 97% recognize the influence humans have on global warming, and only 3% reject or minimize the connection between humans and climate change. So for a, a balanced panel, we need 96 more Dr. Manns. I'd like to play a little tape from Chairman Smith's testimony and then get your reaction. Alarmist predictions amount to nothing more than wild guesses. The ability to protect far into the future is impossible. Anyone stating they know what the climate will be in 500 years or even at the end of the century is not credible. 
All too often, scientists ignore the basic tenets of science in order to justify their claims. Their ultimate goal appears to be to promote a personal agenda, even if the evidence doesn't support it. The scientific method is regarded as the foundation of modern science. Okay, so you just heard uh, Lamar Smith, a House member from Texas. But I mean, I think you, you hear a lot of that kind of rhetoric from folks who are on this side uh, that climate change isn't a, sort of a settled scientific phenomena and that we shouldn't be basing our policies on unsettled scientific theories at this point. What's your reaction when you hear that kind of talk? Well, it's really troubling. And, you know, we, we hear the same arguments um, from the critics of the theory of evolution who want, you know, creationism taught in, in schools uh, because uh, they're convinced that there isn't a scientific consensus there either. Um, and it's not coincidental that where you find this, um, where you find this sort of opposition to uh, the overwhelming uh, consensus of the world's scientists is whenever an issue happens to touch on ideological or religious um, uh, matters uh, or when it involves uh, an issue that impacts one of the most powerful and wealthiest industries on the face of the earth, the fossil fuel industry. Now, what you often hear from these critics, and they're not skeptics because good scientists actually are skeptics. All good scientists are, are skeptical. and. You need uh, evidence and logical reasoning and, and compelling arguments to support uh, a hypothesis or finding. And the more extraordinary uh, the, the hypothesis, the more convincing uh, that the evidence has to be. And, and, and that's sort of you know, what, what Carl Sagan uh, referred to as the self-correcting machinery that uh, helps keep science on the path. Uh, towards a better understanding of the way our world and our universe works. It's that intrinsic skepticism of demanding evidence and, and demanding uh, the most uh, evidence uh, for, for those propositions that are most extraordinary. And, and here, you know, to deny that the earth is warming, um, that the uh, human impact of increasing greenhouse gas uh, concentrations from fossil fuels is behind that, or to deny the impacts that we are now plainly seeing uh, of climate change in terms of unprecedented droughts and floods and extreme weather events. Um, to deny that is extraordinary. And yet um, those who do deny the overwhelming evidence uh, can't marshal <laughs> any uh, convincing lines of evidence uh, for their case. Um, that's the opposite of skepticism. That's contrarianism or, or denialism. It is the, as I referred to in the hearing, the indiscriminate rejection of um, overwhelming evidence that has been provided uh, by the scientific community. That's not skepticism. Um, and so too often uh, these folks will pose as skeptics when in fact they're really just in denial of accepted science. And, and if you listen to the wording, for example, he'll say, well, you know, I think that human activity might have something to do uh, with the warming uh, that we're seeing with the change in climate. And, and that statement is actually a rejection of the scientific evidence because the scientific community has weighed in affirmatively that all of the warming that we've seen, the Earth should have actually cooled if it was just natural factors that were at work. Um, volcanoes and changes in uh, the, the brightness of the sun should have actually driven a small cooling trend. So the warming we've seen 
over the last half century is entirely due to the increase in greenhouse gas concentrations due to fossil fuel burning and other human activities. And when a, a, a scientist or a, a politician says, well, you know, I, I, I recognize that humans have some role, well, they are in fact rejecting the overwhelming consensus that it isn't just some role or even a substantial role. It's an overwhelming role. And the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, founded in the 19th century by a Republican president, I, I would add, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, uh, more than 30 scientific societies in the U.S. that have weighed in on the matter of climate change have all come to that conclusion. So that isn't just me talking. That isn't just a few scientists talking. That's the world's scientists. And here what you have is a congressman funded by fossil fuels choosing a few witnesses um, that are in that small fringe uh, of contrarian scientists who don't accept uh, the mainstream science of climate change and its impacts, um, basically trying to hijack uh, the U.S. House uh, Science Committee to further their end of clouding uh, the picture of confusing the public and, and policymakers about the reality and threat of climate change. Yeah, so you mentioned, uh, you know, that these huge, uh, you know, scientific organizations all basically endorse the the view that carbon dioxide is responsible, that, that we've created is responsible for the vast majority of uh, lo- recent um, global warming. And yet, yeah. you know, the American population, the American uh, populace is not entirely behind that. I, j- I just read a recent Pew poll that found that only 48% of Americans are, you know, agree with that statement that uh, that people are responsible for climate change. Why is this the case? Why is it so hard for scientists to get through to people, to regular people, that this is happening and it's because of us? Well, so, in fact, it is because of this massive disinformation campaign, a campaign that has been waged by fossil fuel interests and politicians who are in their pay um, and front groups and organizations and talking heads um, uh, tied to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, there's been a massive campaign to confuse the public and, and policymakers about the science. In fact, uh, back in 2002, there was a memo Um, that was leaked into the public domain. It was uh, from Republican pollster Frank Luntz. And he he noted that um, the the public was becoming convinced of the scientific evidence. And if they became convinced that there was consensus among the world's scientists, they would demand policy action be taken. But what he said is, based on his focus groups and his polling, there was still time to insert doubt into the public discourse, to confuse the, 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 the public conversation about climate change and what to do about it. And he encouraged uh, fossil fuel interests to, to fund talking heads and, and, and front groups and, and politicians and, and, and support the campaigns of politicians uh, who were willing to confuse the public uh, about this problem. If it sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly what the tobacco industry did decades ago. In fact, it's called the tobacco strategy, the idea that when uh, the findings of science prove inconvenient to powerful special interests, be it the tobacco industry or the fossil fuel industry, uh, one way, um, unfortunately, uh, for those interests to try to gain a foothold is to simply muddy the conversation distract the public, distract the policymakers. As long as the public thinks there's a scientific debate, they won't demand action be taken. 
well, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, so how can you then say, well, this regulation is going to have this consequence? We don't have confidence there. Dr. Mann, I'll give you a shot of that. Are they flexible and adaptive, those restrictions that we're discussing on CO2? I'm not sure why you're asking me that question. Um, uh, obviously, well, Because you're a learned scientist and you're here to participate in the discussion. Yeah, that's a matter of policy that you're asking about. And um, I have tried to be quite clear in my view that there is a, a worthy debate to be had about what policies we invoke so, to deal so with So now it's problem. worthy and it's not, it's not climate deniers. You, you, uh, well, you've misunderstood what I'm saying. There's a worthy debate to be had about the solutions to this problem. There is no longer a worthy debate to be had about whether the problem exists. That is your opinion. It's the opinion of the overwhelming community of scientists around the world. And yet the EPA won't release that data. I'm going to move on to you, doctor. Is it Pilkey? Is that how you say that? Yes. Uh, in your opinion, you're watching this. This is important to you, I'm sure. Y'all y'all are watching this. The critics yeah, have understood that. They've understood that they don't have to win the argument, and they can't win the argument because the science isn't on their side. But if they throw enough mud on the wall and distract and confuse the public, then they can prevent putting a price on, on carbon emissions. They can prevent um, the incentives for renewable energy, the transition towards clean renewable energy. And so that's always been what this is about. Somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the public thinks there's a debate. That's not coincidental. The public thinks that because there has been a well-funded disinformation campaign, propaganda campaign by fossil fuel interests and their abettors to confuse the public into thinking that there is a debate where there isn't one. So you said in your hearing testimony that science, good science relies on unfettered um, access to research and publishing what you find. And you yeah. told the committee about a Soviet agronomist named, who I hadn't heard of, but you brought his name up, Trofim, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Denisovich Lysenko. Yeah. Who you described as a crackpot, but whose ideas had become considered more or less orthodoxy within the Soviet state. Why did you tell Lysenko's story? Yeah, thanks. I, I thought it was very important to, 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 to tell this cautionary tale um, of the dangers that lurk when politicians want to interfere with the, the natural gears of science, um, want to interfere with the unfettered uh, exploration that drives scientific progress and technological progress. And when that's happened in the past, bad things have almost always resulted. In this case, as you allude to, Lysenko, and this is known as the phenomenon of Lysenkoism in Stalinist uh, Russia, um, Lysenko was a crackpot. He argued against, basically against the theory of evolution, that um, organisms and crops, um, plants, could gain characteristics through their lifetimes, which they would uh, pass along to future generations. It's discredited science, and yet, for various reasons, it appealed to sort of the higher-ups in the sort of Stalinist uh, bureaucracy, and Stalin himself, the idea that um, organisms could sort of develop their own characteristics and pass them along, somehow played to Stalin's notion of sort of uh, self-determination, and it became 
the uh, scientific orthodoxy to the extent that scientists who disagreed with Lysenko's theories were thrown in jail. Some of them died in prison. And the real tragedy is that um, his ideas were implemented in agriculture in uh, the Soviet Union, um, in China. And by some estimates, uh, many thousands or even millions of people starved because of the implementation of bad science that was put there for political reasons. And I drew the analogy with what we're seeing today in the U.S. House uh, of um, Representatives, where uh, this uh, the chair of that committee, uh, Lamar Smith of Texas, um, so heavily funded by fossil fuels, wants to reject the overwhelming warning of the world's scientists that climate change is real and human-caused and poses great risk, um, and instead replace that somehow, replace our official uh, government policy with a pseudo-scientific, anti-scientific rejection of the evidence of climate change, which happens to suit uh, not so much his ideology in this case, but uh, suits the fossil fuel interests um, that he represents. So coming up in a few days, there will be a People's Climate March in various cities. Do you think this kind of uh, political, you know, show of political uh, opinion or, or force, is this something that could move the needle in terms of the public's acceptance of climate science? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on, on things like the, the climate march? I think it sends a very important message to the public. Look, you know, I can tell you, I'm a scientist. Uh, many of my friends are, are fellow scientists. We more or less prefer to be left alone in our labs, um, uh, out in the field, um, uh, working with our collaborators, our students, um, uh, doing what we love doing, which is scientific exploration, um, asking questions, trying to find answers to those questions, solving problems, figuring out how, how things work. That's why I went into science. That's why most scientists went into science, because we love doing that. Um, the last thing we typically want to be spending our time doing is marching in the streets. And so you know that uh, things have gotten pretty bad. What it means is that the war on science, the, the assault, um, in, in my case, in the science of climate change that's been plainly evident for years, but uh, under the Trump administration, we're now seeing a wholesale assault on science, uh, the threat to cut the NIH's budget by 20 percent. It would just be devastating, devastating to medical research, to cancer research. We've never seen an assault on science in this country like the one we're seeing right now. And so, in my view, scientists' voices need to be heard. Um, we owe thanks to science um, and scientific uh, progress and technology for, for allowing that. And to turn our backs on that now is literally a threat to civilization and scientists recognize that and, as a result, are willing to, to speak out about it. Michael Mann is a climate scientist at Penn State, where he's a distinguished professor of atmospheric science. He's also the co-author of The Madhouse Effect, which came out last year. He joined me from State College. Michael Mann, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you. Always a pleasure. That's our show for this week. Trump on Earth is a co-production of the Allegheny Front. We're a public media outlet covering the environment in Pennsylvania. For more news on the environment, go to alleghenyfront.org and Point Park University's environmental journalism program. More at pointpark.edu. 
Our producer and digital editor is Andy Cubis. Thanks to Point Park graduate students Rebecca Lesner and Ashley Murray for their help. Don't forget, rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app, and please tell a friend. All our episodes can be found at trumponearth.org, and you can also contact us at our website. We're on Facebook and Twitter, don't you know? We're at Trump on Earth. I'm Reed Frazier. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to the folks at Trump on Earth podcast for sharing their piece. Check them out at trumponearth.org. We highly recommend this show. Generation Anthropocene is produced by Miles Trayer, Leslie Chang, Jackson Roach, and me, Mike Osborne. Special thanks also to Tom Hayden and Isha Salmon. Our project is supported by Worldview Stanford and Stanford Earth. Again, our website is ginanthro.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter, at Gin Anthropocene. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday with a new episode.